And now, the Blaze Radio Network presents 40 Acres and a Fool. Here's your host, Cam Edwards. Hey there, thanks so much for tuning in to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. I'm Cam Edwards. Hope that you've been having a fantastic week. It has been uh, another very busy week on the 40 Acres, although we did take time on a Saturday night to head into Farmville, Virginia for date night. Uh, and we went to one of, well, I, there are two Japanese-style restaurants in uh, Farmville, believe it or not. Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we went to the one place that I know serves really good uh, sushi and rolls. Yeah, in Farmville, Virginia. Uh, no kidding. It is next to a gas station. It's it's in the same building as a gas station, but it's not actually gas station sushi, I don't think, although they do share a restroom. We were talking about this at dinner. Uh, one of the big differences between, maybe the biggest difference uh, that, that you notice in your daily life when you move from the suburbs or the city to a rural area or to a small town is your choice uh, diminishes greatly, right? You you enjoy more personal freedom, uh, but there's less stuff around. So when we lived in the D.C. suburbs, for instance, you know, we wanted to go out to dinner. We had a universe of options. Now, most of the time we stuck with, you know, four or five restaurants. Uh, so it's not that big a deal. Because now we have again about four or five restaurants that uh, that we can choose from, uh, but it's 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 that fact that it's only those four or five restaurants to uh, to choose from. It was a big adjustment. That was again that was probably oddly enough one of the biggest adjustments was just getting used to the fact that okay there is you know look we still have a grocery store uh, and it's not that far away, but we have a grocery store. That's not that far away. So we're, you know, when we lived in Fairfax County, you could run up to uh, Safeway, you could go to Giant, you could uh, drive a little bit further and go to Wegmans. Uh, you know, there, it, there's Sprout, and then there's Trader Joe's, there's uh, Whole Foods. I mean, there's, you know, eighteen different uh, uh, grocery store chains. Uh, that's not a real number, by the way. I'm just pulling that number out of my head. But there are, you know, again, there were a lot of different options. Now we have. A grocery store. Uh, there is a super Walmart around. Uh, there's no Target. There's no Costco. I, you know, again, if you want to drive an hour, sure, you can find that. But uh, it's that that lack of the the diminished choice uh, that you have in you know your your ability to to go and purchase things. But again, it's offset by that personal freedom, by the increased ability for you to go and do things that uh, you couldn't do in the uh, in the D.C. suburbs. So we have been uh, very, very busy tearing up a, uh, uh, I shouldn't say tearing up, uh, clearing out uh, the garden, planting more uh, 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 stuff that we can put uh, in place uh, this past weekend, the uh, horseradish root went down, even though we won't be able to uh, get any horseradish for uh, another year or two. Uh, the potatoes went in the ground this weekend, uh, and that's good. We're growing uh, four or five different types of potatoes, including uh, fingerlings and uh, Yukon golds. Uh, uh, we had really good luck, actually, the uh, the first year that we planted our garden with uh, potatoes, but 
we we didn't get them in the ground last year. Uh, so we're we're back to growing potatoes. Hopefully, we have as good a luck as we did the uh, the first time. Uh, the tomatoes did not go into the garden. They are still uh, hanging out by our windows in the house. It was it was oddly warm. Uh, this past week, uh, highs in the 80s and then lows in the 50s, and then it, it got uh, a little bit cooler. So it's uh, you know down into the low 40s at night. So we we're we're holding out for another week or so. They're doing fine in the house. Uh, we did stop off at a nursery this past weekend, and we were ooing and awing over the uh, the peppers and the tomato plants that were much much bigger than the ones that are uh, growing near our windows. So I I, I couldn't resist every year we get a couple of plants from the nursery just because they're so much further along i mean they start them in the greenhouse which ours is uh not yet completed but it'll be ready to go for next year um and so these plants are so much further along i mean there was a tomato plant that actually had flowers it was already flowering it was a uh, cherokee purple which i we, we grew those last year and we got a few uh, but we ran into the problem that we ran into with any tomato that was basically bigger than a uh, a grape tomato or a vernissage type tomato. Rabbits and groundhogs just tore into uh, any tomato that they could that they could reach. They didn't go for the small stuff, but they would take a bite out of the uh, the beefsteak tomatoes or the uh, you know just even the uh, the standard size tomatoes. Uh, so we didn't get actually a lot of Cherokee purples last year. So I think um, rather than put this in the ground uh, in the back uh, near our garden or in the garden, I think we're going to actually put this in a uh, container pot uh, and put it in the front garden. I don't know if it's that, that's going to do anything at all <laughs> to uh, protect them from uh, the uh, the rabbits and the uh, the groundhogs, but I'm going to try. Dang it. I like big tomatoes. I, 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 that sounds like a weird Sir Mix-a-Lot song, doesn't it? Maybe the Weird Al Yankovic version. Uh, anyway, I, I like tomatoes. I like tomatoes that, uh, on a sandwich. I like a tomato sandwich in the summer. I mean, there's n- just, just right thinly sliced tomato, white Wonder Bread, thin sheen of mayonnaise on it, a little salt and pepper on the uh, tomato, and that's it. That's your lunch. I love those. And you just can't do that with the uh, the little grape tomatoes. So I am bound and determined this year uh, that of all of the uh, tomatoes that we are growing, all of the different varieties, that there will be enough big tomatoes for me to slice for my uh, lunch every day. That's 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 my goal. So we're starting with the, uh, uh, the, the nursery-bought uh, Cherokee Purple. And then uh, I think this weekend the plan is to uh, put all of the tomatoes and the peppers that are in the house out into the garden, we, uh, as I said, we were busy this weekend clearing more garden beds, getting the Florida fences set up for our tomatoes. Florida fences are really interesting. You know, tomatoes, they need something, right? They either need a tomato cage, uh, they need some sort of fencing system, unless you're getting the bush tomatoes. But uh, what we started using last year was a, it's called a, a Florida fence. And it's basically at, you just stake down uh two uh, fence posts, one, you know, on each end, however long you want to go. Our garden beds are four by eight. So about every eight feet, we've got these uh, fence posts that we've put in the ground. And then you just run twine 
between the two fence posts and you coach the tomato plants to grow up between that twine and as they grow you add more twine uh, between the fence posts and that becomes your Florida fence so it's just it's very easy to uh, to get the tomatoes uh, much easier than trying to pick tomatoes through a, a tomato cage again the problem is that they are uh, more open and exposed than uh, uh, plants in a tomato cage but we had a like I said we had a lot of luck uh, particularly with the the smaller tomatoes that we grew the vernissage the uh, sun golds and uh, the various uh, grape tomatoes. So we, we'll be doing the Florida fences again, and we were getting the uh, garden set up for the, uh, the the Florida fences this past weekend. So again, it's just a lot of prep work these days. The uh, baby goats are fantastic, uh, although there are fewer baby goats uh, than there were the last time we spoke. Uh, everybody's fine. They're off on their uh, new adventures and their new homes and being cuddled and adored. I mean, these are these are now baby pet goats. Uh, and they're being bottle-fed and loving life in their new homes. But we have three left. One of them is spoken for. Uh, she's uh, going to go probably in another uh, three weeks or so. And so we have uh, a buckling and a doling. We're keeping the doling. That's that's Miss Freckles, uh, Mr. Freckles' daughter. And then the buckling, I don't know what we're going to do with. Uh, either keep them. I suppose, um, although there's no real reason to, uh, or possibly, I suppose, if uh, somebody would like a, a buckling, let me know. And if you're in the Central Virginia area, we'll see if we can uh, work it out because we really don't need a uh, another buck. We already have Frankie uh, Francisco. Actually, is uh, uh, our goat, our male goat's name. So we don't really need. Any more male goats. The milking uh, has begun, and we are getting a, a little bit more than a gallon of milk from uh, two of the three moms. Now, the third mom uh, was having none of it. We kind of, the, the, this third mom, uh, we call her feisty, and she is. And we kind of made a mistake uh, when when Feisty and her uh, sister Fickle were born. We did not bottle feed them. We we let them stay with their moms way too long. So so they're kind of like cats, <laughs> I guess. They have no real need for uh, for human contact. Occasionally they'll deign to come over and uh, and say hi, but uh, they're they're not big fans of of humans. Uh, and so Feisty uh, wanted nothing to do with milking at all it was a uh, uh an awful experience for a couple of days and so feisty uh is is uh, not being milked and uh she'll just she'll she'll get to go back to being her uh, little feisty self um but if anybody by the way wants a uh, goat who really doesn't like humans let me know because uh we might have one of those available as well all right when we come back here on 40 acres in a fool i want to talk about some of the uh the the News outside of the 40 acres, there's a, a YouGov poll out showing most Americans would not let their kids play outside in their neighborhood without uh, uh, an adult around or walk to school or uh, ride public transportation. Basically, the, the free-range kid movement uh, that you might have been hearing about, or that that phrase, it really is a movement because it sure doesn't seem like it is the norm uh, like it used to be. 
Is this only going to lead to uh, more precious snowflakes? We'll talk about it coming up right after this here on 40 Acres and a Fool. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin. A single sheet of paper that both sides are willing to put their names to and say we have an agreement in principle on the overall issue. If you don't have that, no document, no agreement. And the White House fact sheet is a pathetic little Band-Aid. It's a SpongeBob Band-Aid that he's trying to put over a compound fracture. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Thanks again for streaming, downloading, doing whatever it is you're doing with 40 Acres and a Fool. I'm Cam Edwards. The email address is 40acrefool at gmail.com. And uh, later in the program, we'll get to an email or two. Uh, You can also follow me on Twitter, although I have to say I'm... uh, uh, posting more and more infrequently, and I'm I'm kind of okay with that for now. I'll go back to it. I I ebb and flow like the tides when it comes to social media. But uh, if you want to find me on Twitter, it's at Cam Edwards on Instagram. It's at Cam Edwards on Facebook. It is at Cam Edwards two A. So YouGov came out with a, a poll this week uh, in response to the story of the Medev family in uh, Silver Spring, Maryland, a DC suburb who have now been visited twice by a CPS. They've had their kids taken from them as they were walking home from the park on two separate occasions now. Uh, and this has sort of brought to light the, the free-range parenting movement, which used to just be called parenting. I mean, let's be honest. It used to just be parenting. But this is now a movement because it is not the norm So a free-range parent believes that uh, a free-range kid uh, benefits from being able to explore the world and and push their boundaries. Think about most of us growing up. I say most of us. For most of us, we can think of those those afternoon days, uh, particularly in the summer. My parents both worked. Uh, My uh, older siblings were uh, supposed to watch us, but come on. That never happened. So, you know, I remember as a kid, seven, eight, nine years old, uh, spending my summer days getting up, watching uh, cartoons on Channel 34 on the uh, on the uh, UHF station. Uh, and then, you know, climbing on my bike, riding up the street, uh, going to visit my friends, and then would, uh, you know, they hopped on their mongoose or their diamondback or their huffy, and then would... Go ride bikes all day. Would uh, would ride over to the school. Would uh, ride off beyond the uh, the fenced suburbs and uh, head out by the creek uh, where there was a an actual swimming hole. <laughs> and would uh, would go you know explore the creek and uh, uh, pick crawdads and I mean just just had fun. And that's what we did. Uh, and this was by the way you know again pre cell phones pre smartphones pre GPS. Uh, we knew where the nearest payphone was. We knew where the nearest uh, a house that, you know, where an adult would be uh, was located. And that was kind of all we needed. 
today, statistically speaking, we live in a much safer society for kids, just as we live in a much safer society for adults. But we are terrified of the world around us as it comes to our kids. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I saw this anti-gun uh, article op-ed somewhere uh, claiming that, you know, the NRA peddles fear and most American, well, maybe it was Juan Williams. Maybe that's who it was saying that, uh, you know, the NRA peddles this, this fear and uh, crime is going down and there's no reason uh, to, uh, oh yeah, here's what he said. Uh, people say, I want to be safe against crime. Crime's at a 20 year low. A majority of Americans, 60 plus percent in Gallup, think that crime's on the rise. He says, this is all fabricated. You talk about frenzy and hysteria. That's what's going on, led by the NRA to get the gun ownership rights. You can take guns everywhere. It's the NRA's fault that people think that crime is on the rise. But I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's the case at all, because this goes far beyond uh, gun ownership. As a matter of fact, even people uh, who know that crime is going down have become more supportive of gun rights. Uh, over time. Pew Research talked about this last week. So that's, uh, one Williams is wrong in many regards, but this goes beyond the issue of, of whether crime is up or down. This YouGov poll uh, asked Americans, do you think the world has become more or less safe for children since you were a child? Just 6% said it's more safe now. 19% said it's the same. 6% weren't sure. 70% said they were sure that it was less safe uh, for a child now. 62% said they would not allow an elementary school child to spend the day playing in the neighborhood without supervision. 62%. 71% said they would not let a uh, elementary school child go to the park alone. 73% wouldn't let their elementary school child go to the store alone. Now, when they say alone, I, I, I wonder what those numbers would be if, if it was changed to with friends. Because I, I rarely went to the park all by myself as a kid. I didn't go to 7-Eleven uh, on my bike uh, all that often by myself as a kid, right? Usually you got a buddy with you or two or three. But this fear... That we feel. Where does it come from? Look, part of it is that while the world is safer and you are less likely to be the victim of a violent crime, your child is uh, less likely to be the uh, victim of an abduction, uh, these things do happen. And we know about them because of our 24-7 news cycle. Uh, it's not just cable news, you know, again, social media has amplified this uh, exponentially. So we know all kinds of stories and information about things that are happening in places that we wouldn't have otherwise known about before. So it seems like these things are happening more and more frequently. It seems like these things are happening all around us because we're getting information from all over the world now. So what's the right balance to strike? I mean, you don't want to be uh, utopian, uh, pie in the sky. Oh, you know, there's, there's no crime. There's no threat uh, to us whatsoever, right? Uh, nor do you want to be terrified and, and fearful of uh, the world outside of the door of your home. I, I think that balance is struck with, you know, situational awareness and uh, recognizing 
uh, being able to face the world. This is where we get back to that idea of free range kids anyway. You know, are you better off uh, teaching your kids to, to, uh, to face the world or to stay inside? Um, it was interesting. The Washington Post had a, a story about this, and they talked about some of the other cases around the country. There was a mom in North Carolina, you remember last summer, who was arrested while her uh, nine-year-old daughter played at the park. Mom was at work at uh, McDonald's, and that's what the, uh, the, the daughter was doing. Mom got arrested for that. And the, uh, the, the reporters uh, for the Washington Post went to southeast D.C., and they spoke to a single mom. Uh, about her experience, and her kids did ride public transportation without adult supervision. They had to. They did walk to the park uh, without a grown-up there. They had to. Uh, Mom was working. And Mom said, you know, this is the norm uh, in our neighborhood, but we look out for each other. The, 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 The adults that are around, again, they know the kids in the neighborhood, and they know when something's amiss. They know when a, uh, a kid's walking around when they shouldn't be walking around. They know when a, uh, a, a sibling wanders off and uh, you know, their younger brother or sister aren't with them. They know that the uh, younger brother or sister should be there. These adults are keeping an eye on uh, all of the kids in the community. And there's actually a community. There are people talking. People know their neighbors. A lot of things that don't really happen uh, in uh, some of these neighborhoods where everybody, you know, lives again in their, uh, in their little bubble and, uh, you don't get to know the people that, uh, you live next to or the people down the block. This single mom in Southeast DC raised two kids. Uh, her daughter, I think is getting ready to graduate from college. Her son is in the Navy and, you know, she said, she doesn't think that uh, that her kids having to do these things at an early age hurt them at all. In fact, uh, I think she uh, would say that they helped uh, her kids in many ways. And it's interesting. I wish that uh, Miss E was able to join us this week. We might have to uh, continue this discussion. But, you know, we have five kids. Uh, and when we got married, actually when we met, Miss um, E was living in Camden, New Jersey. Single mom, two kids, uh, five-year-old son, and and ten-year-old daughter, living in Camden, and you know, Miss E can tell stories of uh, my oldest daughter uh, going to the store by herself at nine in Camden. Uh, I I didn't really feel comfortable going to the store by myself at twenty-three in Camden. But, but she'll describe a, 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 a community very similar to the one that the Washington Post described in Southeast D.C. She said, you know, look, we all would uh, watch out for each other's kids if we're outside and, you know, there are two adults and there are 14 kids running around. If we saw one of our neighbor's kids doing something that they shouldn't do, we'd call them out. I would say, hey, don't do that. Or, would, you know, would patch up a scraped knee, would, uh, uh, you know, uh, brush people off if they fell down. You looked out for uh, people in your community, and I wonder if that's not what's what's actually happened here. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't. I'm sure there's not just one cause uh, for this incredible change in attitudes, 
But I do wonder if, if that's not a big part of it, that we've lost that sense of community. Instead, we've replaced it with this, in many cases, an online community where we can uh, associate and hang out and talk to, kind of like this, uh, people from all around the world with whom we agree on, on many, many things as opposed to the real community that we live in, in which our friends and neighbors, uh, particularly our neighbors, let's just say our neighbors, uh, and the people in our neighborhood may not uh, agree on all kinds of things. You know, it's much easier to uh, simply seek out people that, uh, that, that you agree with 100% of the time. Um, but it's also good to live in the real world and to actually get to know your neighbors and to have that sense of community and to find those connections where you can. Uh, in our old neighborhood in the uh, suburbs of D.C., it was actually a really uh, a, a good neighborhood in that regard. There were a lot of military families, as I mentioned, and so there was a pretty regular turnover. But there were also attempts to get to know each other on a regular basis, whether it was you know soup parties, uh, you know little block parties, or... Uh, Fourth of July was always a uh, a big holiday. Halloween was great because uh, people would uh, you know got had they got known for their homes and uh, the goodies that were offered. And you'd have parents who were uh, towing wagons full of uh, a beer and cider for other parents as we all walked around the neighborhood. So there were attempts uh, on regular basis to to get to know your neighbors, and it 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 was nice. It actually uh, it, it it felt like that. I want to say like the way it used to be, but I want to, I really want to say it felt like the way it, it should be. And I think if you have that type of relationship now, look, even in our neighborhood, uh, with, with people who knew each other and who, you know, socialized and got together, even in our neighborhood, Missy e would get a call every now and then, uh, when our youngest daughter who at the time was seven would ride her bike, uh, down the street you know, not far from our house, uh, not crossing any busy street, but just would ride her bike on the sidewalk. We'd get a call every now and then. I I, I just saw your daughter. Uh, is it okay that she's out there? And Missy would always say, yes, it's, it's fine. I know exactly where she is and she knows exactly where she is and she knows to come home, but we would get those calls. Thankfully we got those calls, not uh, CPS, but uh, you know, that, that, that it's a real genuine, um, concern. I think that the more, the more of that real neighborhood, the more of that real community that you, uh, that you can have, then the, uh, the less likely you're going to be to have these types of problems and the less fear you're going to have for your kids going out and playing and doing these things. You know, that, that YouGov poll that uh, we started this segment with, found that uh, most Americans, particularly those over the age of 30, did grow up doing these things. 71% spent the day playing in their neighborhood without supervision. 64% walked to school by themselves. 61% went to the store by themselves. 59% went to the park by themselves. The world is a safer place, and yet we are too scared to let our kids do what we did. But unless we want our kids to grow up terrified of the world unreasonably, we, the adults and the parents, need to start facing our fears. 
All right, when we come back here on 40 Acres and a Fool, we'll uh, continue this discussion a little bit. Also, uh, going to get to some emails later on in the hour. Again, the email address is 40acrefool at gmail.com. Stick around. We'll be right back with more here on 40 Acres and a Fool. You're listening to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. So it was again. Barack Obama was supposed to be there, touting, touting the 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 wonders of of Obamacare. He couldn't even be bothered to show up to the event on time. Nine minutes. President Obama shows up, delivers his speech. No apologies, no explanations. Just I'm a big clerk. Royalty. You will wait for me. Arrogance beyond explanation. Chris Salcedo. Saturdays noon to three p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Coming to you from the heart of Virginia, it's 40 Acres and a Fool. I'm your host, Cam Edwards. So we were talking uh, last segment about that YouGov poll and parenting. And, 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 and really, again, it's not that we can't blame our kids for this. We have to blame the parents. It's, it's the parents' unreasonable fear that is being passed on uh, to our kids. And, and again... It's an unreasonable fear. The world is becoming a safer place. Doesn't mean that there aren't threats out there, but it also means that you can face those threats. You can prepare your kids. You can prepare yourself as adults uh, to uh, to face these threats and to live uh, in the world as it is. What do we lose when our kids don't explore the world? What do we lose when they just you know hang out and instead of running around the neighborhood? They're uh, running around uh, a map of a Call of Duty, or instead of exploring the the the, the creek, uh, you know, a, a block and a half away, they're uh, climbing a mountain on Skyrim. Instead of going down to the field to throw a football around, they're playing Madden with their friends. And it's not that they're doing that. In addition to, which was my experience growing up, right? We had video games growing up, but we also went outside to play. They're doing this instead of. What do we lose? You know, this is uh, typically the segment of the show where I talk about the books that I've been reading, and I will. Uh, but I wanted to pull out one of my all-time favorite books, really, Top 5 Desert Island, if I could uh, only read, you know, a few books for the rest of my life. Uh, Whitaker Chambers' Witness would be one of them. And it's one of those books that I go back and I read probably once a year, Um maybe once every other year in the prologue to, uh, to witness uh, Whitaker Chambers writes a letter to his children and he talks about after he fled communism and uh, he started to rebuild his life again. Uh, he had moved his family to a, a farm in uh, Westminster, Maryland. This would have been in the uh, 1930s through uh, World War II, late 30s into the uh, late 40s. He says, The farm was your kingdom, and the world lay far beyond the protecting walls thrown up by work and love. It's true that comic strips were not encouraged. Comic books were banned. The radio could be turned on only by permission, which was seldom given or asked. And you saw a few movies. 
but you grew in the presence of eternal wonders. There was the birth of lambs and calves. You remember how once, when I was away and the veterinarian would not come, you saw a mother reach in and turn the calf inside the cow so it could be born. There was also the death of animals, sometimes violent, sometimes slow and painful. Nothing is more constant on a farm than death. Sometimes of a spring evening, Papa, here he speaks of himself in the third person, Papa would hear that distant honking that always makes his scalp tingle, and we would all rush out to see the wild geese in lines of hundreds steer up from the southwest, turn over the barn as over a landmark, and head into the north. Or on autumn nights of sudden cold that set the ewes breeding in the orchard, Papa would call you out of the house to stand with him in this now-celebrated pumpkin patch and watch the northern lights flicker in electric clouds on the horizon, mount, die down, fade, and mount again until they filled the whole northern sky with ghostly light and motion. Thus, as children, you experience two of the most important things that men ever know. The wonder of life and the wonder of the universe. The wonder of life within the wonder of the universe. More important, you knew them not from books, not from lectures, but simply from living among them. Most important, you knew them with reverence and awe. That reverence and awe that has died out of the modern world and has been replaced by man's monkey-like amazement at the cleverness of his own inventive brain. That's what our kids miss when they are uh, uh, amazed with monkey-like cleverness <laughs> and the latest video game uh, or uh, the, uh, the, the, the latest uh, you know, YouTube uh, sensation that they can uh, stream from their smartphone. They, they miss out on all of the incredible moments that exist in the real world. And I worry that, uh, again, they don't, you know, we're, we're getting to the point where we don't know how to face the real world, uh, where it's easier to, uh, to, to live uh, in that uh, world of man's devising rather than the, uh, the world of nature. Then again, uh, Whitaker Chambers, uh, you know, thought that Comic strips and comic books were going to uh, rot his kids' brains. Now, <laughs> we're a little bit further down the road. But you know, the thing is, there is still, no matter, the fact that, you know, the uh, the diversions, the, the, the modern world and its diversions have become exponentially more fantastic and amazing since Whitaker Chambers' time. It still doesn't really compete to those moments that you find outside. One of the uh, the first things that we did when we moved to the 40 acres, well, I take it back because we moved there in the depths of winter. One of the first things that we did when it got warm enough after we moved to the 40 acres was we uh, put an air mattress in the uh, back of the pickup truck and we loaded all the kids in the back and we drove halfway up our driveway on a uh, moonless night and we turned off the headlights and we turned off the truck and we all just lay back and we looked at the stars. So many more stars than we could see in the suburbs 
exponentially more stars. I saw constellations that I didn't know existed. Uh, you know, you could see Venus in a lot of cities. But that was the first time that I saw not just Jupiter shining brightly, but I could pick out Saturn as well. We could actually see the dusting of the Milky Way. It wasn't as, as, as bright and as vibrant as you'd see out west, but you could see it right there from our driveway. And that was one of those moments of awe that, that I was able to give to my kids. They can see a, a starry sky uh, while they're playing Skyrim. And there may be this, you know, paintbrush of galaxies and nebulas, and it may it may look incredible. But it doesn't compare, and it can't compete with that moment looking up at the night sky. That's what, uh, that's what I hope to give my kids, are moments like this. And, that, and, and again, those are the moments that I worry that... Uh, kids across the country are missing out on. I think Whitaker Chambers hit onto something there. And again, that's just in like the first 20 pages of Witness. It's an incredible book. If you haven't read it, you really, really should. Uh, the other books that I uh, read this week, um, and yeah, I actually had some time to read. Uh, I also found a, a Barnes & Noble gift card that I hadn't used. So I uh, went down to the bookstore on Sunday and I picked up uh, Dead Wake which is the uh, latest book by Eric Larson, uh, Devil, Devil in the White City, and uh, Isaac Storm, and a, a couple of other books. He's one of those writers who uh, makes a, 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 a nonfiction book of history read like a thriller. And uh, Dead Wake is the story of the Lusitania, and they sink into the Lusitania during World War I. Learn all kinds of fascinating stuff. You know, we uh, we live in a day and age. We read the history books, and uh, of course, you know, wars are everybody's fault, and there's uh, uh, no one real person or uh, or or nation to, uh, to to lay blame on. We are all you know equally awful. We're just all horrible people. Uh, so I I was not I'll be honest with you. I was I wasn't aware that uh, Germany was the nation that uh, first used uh, gas. As, a, as an offensive weapon, that uh, Germany's use of unrestricted submarine warfare uh, was something that wasn't matched by, by Great Britain uh, or the Allies. There was, a, you know, just some, some interesting uh, bits of history. Uh, learning about the, uh, the attack on the Lusitania and the uh, rather troubling supposition that uh, the British government kind of egged it on, uh, or at least did not take steps to uh, to prevent the sinking of the Lusitania because they were hoping that uh, an attack like that would end up uh, drawing the United States into World War One. That's a uh, something you don't read about in the uh, in most history books, but uh, there's some some pretty damning uh, documentary evidence that Eric Larson presents again in this in this very you know uh, uh, gripping page turning. History of the sinking of the Lusitania and what was going on at the uh, at the time again in, in England, uh, in the United States, where Woodrow Wilson was uh, courting the woman who would become his second wife and who ultimately would sort of take over for him when he was incapacitated by a stroke. 
uh, something that was kept out of public knowledge there uh, at the time. So Dead Wake, I uh, just devoured. I think I read it in uh, in an evening. I also picked up uh, a book new in paperback called American Spring, which is about uh, the time period in history, let's say uh, January to June of uh, 1775, focused primarily in Massachusetts, but uh, the uh, the author uses a lot of uh, first-hand accounts, diaries, letters. So you explore what's going on with uh, with Parliament in England at the time, uh, the Continental Congress in Philadelphia. You know, this is a a a a time period that I, I'm constantly drawn to as a lover of American history. And so I've I don't know how many books uh, I've read that have you know kind of focused on uh, this time period because it really is a, a a fascinating time in in American history. That period and in and, and a place in American history, Boston, uh, let's say going back even before 1775, Boston going back to 1765 up to, uh, you know, March of 1776 is a just an incredible, uh, incredible story. And, you know, we've gotten uh, hints of this in miniseries like John Adams. Uh, and, and this is another great book that uh, really explores and delves into some of the the the, the individuals, the personalities uh, who were shaping events there on the ground. Uh, men like Paul Revere, uh, Samuel Adams, John Hancock, uh, figures that are almost forgotten today but were hugely uh, influential at the time, like Joseph Warren, uh, women like uh, Abigail Adams, and uh, Mercy Warren. And so through these voices, uh, you, you learn about uh, and you, you, you hear and read about uh, uh, Lexington and Concord and the Battle of Bunker Hill, but also those, those days in between those dates. You know, again, when you read the history books, it's all right, April 19th, Lexington and Concord, and then uh, in June there was Bunker Hill. What was going on on a daily basis in Boston and around Boston in those weeks between those battles? Uh, you know, there were, there were, it was, it was chaos. It was absolute chaos. You had thousands of, uh, loyalists who were trying to get into the city of Boston, which was in essence blockaded. There was uh, very little food coming in, uh, and really wasn't, uh, you're looking at a humanitarian crisis uh, in essence with thousands of refugees trying to come into Boston. Meanwhile, you've got thousands more, uh, militia members who are arriving, outside of Boston and sort of encircling the city so that the British can't escape. That causes uh, all kinds of health problems on their own. Uh, this was an incredible upheaval that, that was epicentered in Massachusetts, but the aftershocks were, were stretching uh, not just across the, the colonies, but uh, really a, across the ocean and in England as well. And so Again, it's just this incredibly interesting uh, time period uh, going back from, uh, again, uh, in, in this particular book uh, to January of 1775. And so you uh, hear about, for instance, the uh, the commemoration of the Boston Massacre, which uh, was held every year. The Boston Massacre occurred in 1770. And then every year after, they, they held a commemoration for the dead. In 1775, uh, tensions were, were so high that the uh, the British officers 
who were there in attendance. First of all, the place was packed. You couldn't you couldn't get in. Joseph Warren was the speaker. Uh, he couldn't even get in through the door. So he had to climb up a ladder through a window to get to the lectern. Uh, estimates were about uh, 5,000 people inside the uh, the meeting house, including some British officers who were uh, seated right up front. And Joseph Warren uh, gave this incredibly uh, passionate speech defending liberty, uh, talking about the, uh, the, the, the innocent dead. Uh, and again, tensions were very, very high. The, uh, the British officers were cocking and uncocking their pistols as Warren is speaking. Uh, after uh, Warren's speech is over, Samuel Adams uh, takes the lectern and, and uh, uh, talks about uh, next year's uh, commemoration of the bloody massacre. And at that uh, phrase, the, uh, the British officers begin shouting, Fie, fie, which uh, uh, the crowd, many in the crowd interpreted as fire, fire. And they began to flee, to, 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 to just you know stampede outside of the meeting house, uh, where they are greeted by a uh, squad of British uh, soldiers who are uh, regulars who are walking or marching by. Uh, and so a lot of the people in the crowd thought that this was some sort of trap, some sort of setup. Uh, people who were there said it, it was basically by providence that uh, there was not a, uh, a riot or a, a massacre that occurred right then and there. Um, to read about, again, just a city on, on edge like that and the, uh, uh, the, the attitude and the atmosphere uh, beyond Boston out in the countryside— uh, it's really just incredible, and it's the, the, the those firsthand accounts that, that really bring the book to life. So the book is called American Spring. It is uh, out new in paperback. Uh, when we come back here on 40 Acres and a Fool, we will uh, get to some emails from you. The email address is 40acrefool at gmail.com. Stick around. We've got more coming up for you right after this. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss Pat and Stu. You want us to believe that a law that has gone without incident for over 20 years in mostly evil conservative hick flyover states through a period where almost everyone in America was against gay marriage, that that country will now become a problem in a country that has moved over 35 points in the direction of gay marriage. Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards returns now on the Plays Radio Network. Time for my favorite part of 40 Acres and a Fool, where we uh, check in with the emails here. Uh, Robin, who is uh, in the Shenandoah Valley uh, writing in, says, finally caught up with the podcast. Uh, He says, I know that there are many different styles of gardening, and I've seen some gardens that are fantastic. I really like the square foot gardening method. How do you possibly process all the food uh, you get from your garden? Well, Robin, by process, uh, do you mean eat uh, right off the the vine? As in many cases, uh, you know what's what's so. What's interesting is you know when you start making tomato sauce, uh, and you start uh, you know first of all uh, you know it takes a lot of tomatoes to make tomato sauce. So um, that's where a lot of our uh, uh, food goes is into canning. 
And um, we also, what we don't use ourselves, we'll uh, feed to the hogs. So, for instance, um, we planted we planted way too much squash last year. We thought, oh, yeah, we like squash. We like spaghetti squash. Oh, spaghetti squash is great. So we planted so much spaghetti squash that by uh, July we couldn't eat anymore. It just I would look at spaghetti squash and I would I would lose my appetite. So uh, the hogs got a lot of squash. They got a lot of Hubbard squash. As a matter of fact, we decided this year we're just going to start growing pumpkins uh, and squash specifically for uh, our hogs. Uh, the other, uh, let's see, I guess, again, the tomatoes, they all got eaten. Uh, we'd give some away to friends. We would uh, can some. Again, we made a, a lot of sauce, ketchups, things like that. Um, the other food that we had a lot of were peppers. And I, I don't know if I can convince Miss E to, uh, to actually share her uh, hot sauce recipe here on the uh, the podcast because she has people who – Seriously, I have a friend, uh, uh, Jimmy, down here in Farmville, and he drinks this stuff from the bottle, Miss E's hot sauce. I don't know how he does it. This thing is it's so flaming hot to me. Uh, Tommy Graziano, who's joined us here on the podcast before, uh, raves about Miss E's hot sauce. Seven different kinds of peppers in there. And so that's where a lot of our peppers went. Um, but, you know, you, you just... We we uh, froze a, a lot of pumpkin. Uh, would uh, we froze a lot of squash? Um, we actually still have blueberries from last year that are in our freezer. So, uh, you know that's that's where a lot of it goes as well is uh, is into the freezer. Now, Robin uh, also says um, he says my garden produces well. My biggest failing is getting started early enough and weed control. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you, Robin. Getting started early enough and. Uh, we control those are I think the, the the two biggest banes of my existence as well. Um, Robin says I use nothing to control the pests. Yeah, we don't either, uh, which has not been good for our cabbage last year. Like we we've not we've grown cabbage two years in a row. We've not been able to eat any of it because the bugs get to it uh, because we don't put anything on our uh, on our plants. Uh, we've decided I think this year not to grow cabbage. We are going to put some uh, uh, organic natural uh, uh, pesticides on our fruit trees and, and uh, start there, I think. Uh, we've kept them off of the, uh, the garden. Uh, Robin says, my biggest problems with the predators, possum, raccoon, and fox. Uh, Robin says, I know that we have coyotes, but I haven't seen any. Part of the problem is my neighbor insists on feeding the fox kids because he likes to watch them. <laughs> Isn't that nice? I You know... What are you going to do, Robin? Right? Um, you want to be on good terms with your neighbor, but to even see even out, even out beyond the suburbs, you uh, you still uh, want to get along with your neighbors. That is a uh, that is an issue, and it is a big issue for you. Um, Robin says I use electric fencing, and it's worked well for me, although it has its own challenges. Yeah, we use electric net as well, portable electric fencing, and the only occasionally. So here are the biggest problems we've had. We've not had any problems with predators. Uh, being able to, you know, bypass the electric fence. Uh, we've had problems, particularly with our, our goats, chewing through the non-electric uh, uh, wires that help support the fence. Uh, and so that's been an issue. We uh, have a continual issue with me not remembering to turn the electric fence back on 
after I leave <laughs> from feeding and watering the animals. Uh, that's been an issue. But uh, we've not had any issues with, uh, with, with predators actually being able to get in uh, through the electric fence. Now, Robin's got a great idea for, uh, for weed control. He says, uh, this year I'm using large cardboard boxes from work. I've been collecting since last year on the walk paths. Every year I learn more. Robin says, and Robin, that's a great idea. Actually, uh, Miss E and I were talking about that 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 uh, that very thing this past weekend uh, was we were clearing out the garden beds because again we've got raised beds and we want to. It's enough of a challenge to keep the raised beds clear and to get them clear, and then you look at the pathways and you just want to throw up your hands in frustration. Uh, and so here's the thing: it ain't pretty, right? Uh, Better Homes and Gardens is not going to come out and photograph your garden with cardboard uh, boxes laid out flat along your walkways. But that's okay. I mean, my way of thinking is uh, Better Homes and Gardens isn't coming out anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> regardless of whether or not the uh, the cardboard boxes are down, it's not about looking pretty. It's about functionality, right? And it's about ultimately killing off those weeds. Uh, and so... We don't have, we've not been saving up for a year, uh, but we do have some cardboard boxes. You could also use, uh, you know, uh, uh, landscaping uh, cloth. You could uh, lay down, you know, cut open trash bags and lay those down as well. Just got to stake them down. Basically, you just want to remove that access to sunlight, right, uh, to kill the weeds. And uh, I'll tell you what else works really well, too, is a, a pup tent. Uh, left on your front lawn for uh, several weeks by your uh, youngest son. That also uh, will will kill any sort of weeds or or grass that uh, might be there as well. We still have a spot in our uh, front yard, but that's okay because he had a really good time. That was his clubhouse last year. See, once again, we get back to the other free-range parenting thing. Let my kid uh, camp out, and you know what? He had a good time. He uh, He was afraid at first, but uh, he conquered his fear, and now he loves the outdoors. All right, that is uh, unfortunately about all the time that we have for you on this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. Thank you again for uh, downloading, streaming, listening to the program. Don't forget, uh, each and every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, live on nranews.com, we have NRA News Cam and Company, three hours a day of the latest Second Amendment news and information, plus other freedom-related issues. We do talk about things like uh, free-range kids, uh, free speech on college campuses, and more on the uh, NRA News Cam and Company program. You can also find us on Sportsman Channel, 5 p.m. Eastern weekdays. Uh, we are midnight Eastern, 9 Pacific on Sirius XM Patriot 125. And we are also on demand at iHeartRadio. You can uh, get NRA News Cam and Company on iTunes as well, or you can subscribe through our RSS feed. And uh, thank you for listening and for watching to NRA News Cam and Company. I hope you have a fantastic week. Get out there in the garden. Be safe. Have fun. Live a little. Learn a lot. And we'll talk to you soon here on another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. 